Welcome to the number one show and the source of truth for all things medtech. Here, we reveal the secrets and stories behind the investments, science, and commercialization of the medtech industry. Every week, we'll take you on a wild ride with the biggest names in the game, from entrepreneurs and investors who are shaking up the market, to healthcare providers who are revolutionizing the way we think and practice medicine. So hold on tight and get ready for a journey like no other. This is the State of MedTech. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Now, I've spoken about it many times before that my mission, the mission of my company is to change how we sell and market in med tech. And that's a big mission because it involves so many different aspects. And it's really about how do we drive product adoption in a new and an effective way, right? Especially as we see big tech moving into our industry, the world is changing. There's a consumerization that's happening that, of course, the B2B buyer who's you know being conditioned by Amazon and all these e-com uh, companies, they're not going to just take their consumer hat off and then put on their B2B work outfit and go to work and become a different person. It's the same person, right? And so how do we get better about reaching those people and driving engagement, strong ROI, and product adoption? So our industry is really focused on one thing where they spend a lot of money on, which is events. But let's face it. I've been in the industry for a little over 12 years now. Events have not changed. They're still the same boring, stuffy types of events. It's very rare that I've been to a med tech event where I say, wow, this is different engaging with the exception of LSI, but LSI is not a medical device or a med tech company, right? Um, and by the way, if you're a CEO or startup founder, you have to attend LSI 2024. Just go check them out. Just Google LSI 2024 and get your tickets. I will be there as usual. It's the one conference I guarantee I'm at every year. Anyway, aside from that, events need a change, right? And so if we look at how traditional marketing is, it's really, it died a long time ago, but our industry still has latched onto it, okay? This is where I wanted to have Morgan Ingram on the sh on the show. So Morgan is a, a B2B uh, uh, thought leader, uh, specifically in the software world. And I started following him many years ago because he had started putting out a lot of B2B content. And you know, little to my knowledge, when he was doing that, he was working at a company, and that B2B content that he created, where it wasn't gated or confined to traditional white paper, led to a lot of inbound pipeline closed deals and longer uh, lifetime customer value with millions and millions of dollars coming as a result of that. So he decided to start his own company uh, called Amp Creative. You can check them out at ampcreative.io. That's A-M-P-creative.io. And essentially, they transform customers and employees into brand influencers. Because if you think about it today, whether it's for a simple product or a B2B decision, we're influenced by specific type of influencers, right? We call them key opinion leaders. And even in our industry, the KOL of yesterday is not the KOL of today. The KOL of today isn't the person usually who's chair of, you know, of a massive academic center, et cetera. It's often somebody you don't think of, right? It's somebody who might be in a smaller hospital or small practice in a rural setting. And if you talk to so many different med device companies over and over again, some of the key adopters of their technologies were those people, but finding them is so hard. 
I, you know, finally met Morgan in person at the Dreamforce event, which is uh, Salesforce's big event. And Morgan's company had essentially been engaged by Clary, which is, you know, a mutual partner for us. Uh, Clary sponsors my podcast. And the events that they put on and ran, the content they created, I was so impressed by it that I had to have Morgan on the show to talk about how he thinks about events. How does he think about uh, creating content and using that to influence buying decisions? And so this episode's all about that. Um, and the one question that I have is that when you listen to this episode, and I'm talking to you, directors of marketing, VPs of marketing, uh, CEOs, who's going to be the first med tech company to engage AMP Creative? Because I want to see more of these exciting, high-level, different and creative events and forms of uh, content creation that we see in the SaaS and tech world start to come into our industry. And I guarantee you the ones who decide to do that, man, you're going to not only have a really strong ROI, but more importantly, you're going to be a, you're going to get that first mover advantage. So this is our episode with Morgan Ingram. Enjoy it. Be sure to follow him, Morgan J. Ingram, on LinkedIn. And before we get into it, just a couple shout out to, to a few sponsors. Number one is Clary. As you know, I tell you, if you have Salesforce as a CRM, you want to protect that investment because number one, you need good data to come in. Your reps who are out in the field are so busy. They often get data in at the end of the day or end of the week, which is not clean data. And then you're making decisions on that. Clary not only helps you automate data going in, but more importantly, takes that data and through AI, they're able to start giving you predictable pipeline and helping you understand what deals are at risk in your pipeline, which deals need more attention, and then predicting revenue. Clary is starting to own this uh, category of revenue intelligence and more importantly, revenue governance and collaboration. And the reason why they call it revenue governance and collaboration is because they want to make revenue a team sport where it's not just something that's solely owned by sales or marketing, but it's across the entire organization. So go check out Clary at clary.com, C-L-A-R-I.com or check the show notes below and get that demo. You'll learn a lot from them. Trust me. And the second one is as we talk about, and this is why I had Morgan on the show, which is how do we use events to attract early adopters? Now, finding those early adopters to your products is one of the most important things because that'll make or break your company. The problem is it's not always so simple, right? That's where we look to data. Now we have another problem. Most of the providers out there who provide the data sets on which surgeons or physicians have the highest procedure volume, prescribing behaviors, et cetera, et cetera, cost tens of thousands of dollars a year. And then once you pay for it, as I've done in the past, they're really complicated. They're really difficult platforms to use. This is why I've decided to team up with Alpha Sophia. Alpha Sophia is a commercial intelligence platform made for med tech, specifically for startups and people launching new products because they focus on helping you find early adopters. I've used their product many times just to figure out certain physicians to have on the show. So if you go to alphasophia.com forward slash Omar, A-L-P-H-A, sophia.com forward slash Omar, you get not one, not two, but three free searches of any type of clinician or specialty you want, and they'll give you those reports for free. Plus, you'll see how easy it is to use their, their platform. And if you decide to use them, guess what? They cost less than they cost less than my HubSpot subscription. Their pricing right now is only $300 a month. It's unbelievable how cost-effective it is because they want to help startups. But let me tell you what, if you're a huge Fortune 500 company, trust me, 
They have pure pricing transparency. You can see this on the page. Plus, I'm telling it to you right now. If you're a huge company, they're not going to change the price for you. It's still $300 for you as well. So go check them out. Now, let's go on, on to our episode with Morgan J. Ingram. Enjoy. Welcome back to the show, everybody. So uh, many of you have been requesting uh, more marketing-focused episodes, and I hear you. You know, we're doing more of them now. Um, but one thing that our industry really built itself on, and it's something that is still going on today is events, right? You know, before social media, before email and digital, like we ran product adoption specifically through events. But let's face it, um, I don't know about you, but I've been to a lot of different conferences in our industry. The event side is lackluster. And so I didn't really have anybody that I felt good enough to bring on the show to talk about this until I went to uh, Dreamforce, which is Salesforce's event. I met uh, our guest today, Morgan J. Ingram. We've been connected on LinkedIn for a while. I've been following him for a while. Um, but him and his company, AMP, has uh, put on this amazing event uh, at uh, Dreamforce. And more specifically, the thing that really caught my eye about them is that their whole mission is advancing the buyer journey through videos and events that actually drive revenue. And so after attending one of those events and seeing it for myself, I said, this is the guy that needs to come on and help me talk to my industry to make it better. So Morgan, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. It's good. Good to see you again. It's good chopping it up when we were out there on Dreamforce. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So this is going to be an action-packed episode, as they say. But before we kind of jump into talking shop, maybe even give a little bit of background uh, to who you are and your company and your journey uh, for some of our listeners who are just learning about you today. Yeah. So people probably care about this a little bit. I went to the University of Georgia, so go dogs. Uh, but to skip past <laughs> that, uh, we're going to go into like my first job. So my first job was a sales development rep which if you don't know what that is, it's cold calling, cold emailing, social selling, all those different things to schedule meetings for our account executives, our sellers. So that's where I started out and that's where I got into content. So I started a YouTube channel called the Esther Chronicles. I did an episode every single day for seven months. And then I got promoted to an SDR manager where that led into me getting uh, 13 reps that I managed. And then I got founded by John Barrows, who's one of the top tech sales trainers in the space. And I was with him for three and a half years where I trained Zoom, Slacks, Snowflake, Google, whatever, whatever, whatever big tech company you probably heard of. I went and trained their teams from the senior reps all the way to the junior reps on how to build pipeline with cold outbound techniques. That That's what I did. And I just realized that for my love of content and also for events, that I wanted to move into AMP, which is again, talking about revenue focused video content and events and activations. And the last thing I'll say here is, and I didn't mention this because I wanted to go through the core background, but in college where it really all started, I started an event company, uh, which is funny why this is all for, for uh, full circle, but it was a different event company. I was hosting video game tournaments on college campuses. And that uh, was called Collegiate Gaming Land. So CGL, another acronym is what we created there. Uh, and that was a really, really good and, and fun time. And how I sold people on that is actually pretty crazy in itself. But yeah, during college, I actually ran that business. It was profitable, got some sponsors. It was a ton of fun. That's amazing. And by the way, just side note, um, correction on my part. It's not AMP, it's AMP. And and I blame my industry because we, we abbreviate so many different things. <laughs> I'm like, that's AMP. I'm like, no, it's AMP as in like Amplify. Um, by the way, I, I don't know why I forgot to mention this to you, but like in my journey, so I, I became the industry's first head of growth many years ago. And yeah. in that process, getting exposure to the SaaS world and everything, 
I came across your channel specifically and it, it, it like hit me the other day. I'm like, oh, why didn't I tell Morgan about that? Because when I was trying to learn about SDR and BDR, you have a video about like the S SDR role, but why yep. is it like really a tough role and everything? And so like that was my first exposure to you. And I didn't put two and two together until like later on. But for those who are like salespeople, because in our in our world, uh, the salespeople in our world are like full cycle, like like they're the SDR, BDR, sales engineer, AE, all right. that and customer success. Yeah. The whole thing. But I was going to say, for those of you, I always tell people, I was like, look, everybody wants to close deals. Nobody wants to prospect. If you really want to learn some stuff, go to go to his uh, YouTube channel, which is the SDR Chronicles. It's some really good content there. But yeah, no. So, you know, first, what's your take on events? Because I, I, it has to be that events suck across a lot of industries, not just mine, right? Please tell me it's not just mine. <laughs> no, it's not just most. Uh, the thing is, I went on a tour this year. So the majority of the revenue that we had, that we made, I said, I'm just going to go in person. I got to see it. It's one thing to mm -hmm. hypothesize. It's different. It's different to go. So I didn't go to tech events. I went to a real estate event. I went to like just a, a overall marketing event, right? I just started going to different industries to be like, yo, what's going on here? And most events suck. And most people act activations at booths are terrible. And I think it's just because people just see it as a checkbox. Like, oh, we need to go to X event. We need to go buy the space. We're just going to hang out and we're going to go do our thing. Or we need to do, run this conference. We get these speakers. We have no energy. We just have people go speak. So I, I just, I've seen this over and over again. And I was like, this is not good. And so that's when I was like, it's time to change that. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, the thing the thing about, you know, people think I'm like anti-in-person, anti-event. I'm actually pro for those things. But, you know, they have to be done differently and better. I mean, look, for my industry, if you took, you know, your average company. So not one of the bigger companies, just your average company. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll use my my company that I, uh, the first uh, company I was a marketing manager of, Mazor, you know, we were publicly traded, but we're still a startup, right? When we went to our main show, we had a 20 by 20 booth. We dropped minimum 250, 300 grand that year. And that's not including travel and expenses and everything. No. Right? So these are big investments. And at least when I was a marketing manager, I was like, it's not enough just to set up a booth and have some cool tech and just sit, sit back and like hope things go well. And then maybe we'll just kind of like, half-ass pull people together for a dinner or something, right? That's why these events have like negative, negative ROI. But as negative as the ROI is, people still keep doing them. And keep they keep thinking like, well, if we just do it bigger and better next year, but it's usually bigger, but never better. <laughs> that, that's, that's the big thing. Just because it's bigger does not mean that it is better or optimize for the experience that you're aiming for that doesn't do anything, right? I'm gonna give you a prime example. Have you been to Golden Corral? I absolutely have been to Cortland Golden Corral. Okay. <laughs> Golden Corral has more food. Is it better? That's a great point. It's not I'd better. Rather go to <laughs> right. go to with that right? limited, limited menu. <laughs> right. Because you know that limited, that's going to be really good. Right. And so a lot of people out here are Golden Corral in it. And I have no hate against Golden Corral. Golden Corral is great. If you, you know, go to the family, whatever, like we do it. But like, I'm not expecting great food, like top shelf Michelin's. No. And that's what a lot of people do right now at events. They're just like, oh, well, we just make it bigger. Well, that actually doesn't help you at all. When you look at different industries, what do you feel like is, is one of the most common mistakes that you that you see over and over again that make, make events suck? I think it's the common mistake that happens to go to market, which is the marketing and sales team aren't talking to each other. Let me give an example. Mm, man, double click into that one, please. <laughs> so our premise and what we're looking to solve is it just make better events? That's not the reason we're going on this path. It came from my experience as a sales trainer, realizing that outbound is dying 
And then because I work with marketing teams as well under a lot of branches, traditional marketing is not effective. If those, if one of those is bad, the whole thing is bad. And I'm, I'm going to explain why this, how this happens. If your outbound is bad, right? And, but your marketing's good, doesn't matter, right? If your traditional marketing's ineffective, but your outbound is good, harder, right? So they have to be aligned. And so what happens is, is that when they go to a booth, there's no activation at the booth. So you're not able to get enough traffic to the booth in general, right? Because you have no activations. You have the same thing you're doing. You have the, the same socks, the same koozie that everyone gets, the same coffee cup. I've had, I've got millions of coffee cups, right? And the same shirt. I don't care about any of these items, but every company gets them because they feel like, oh, we need to get them. But does it really do anything? It doesn't. You're actually wasting money. So the marketing team has doesn't help the booth at all for activation standpoint. It's just a normal booth. Right. And there's no communication on that. Then the sales team isn't prepped accordingly because they're just sitting at the booth doing nothing. So, so then, right. So then, so then, so you have, you have nothing coming in and you have no one going out and you spent a hundred grand and you scanned and, and you have a quarter to go scan the badges and you're getting nothing from it. I don't, I don't understand this. Yeah, you get garbage leads where they're coming by the booth for a tchotchkes item. And then sales, like in our world, this is why sales hates marketing. Sales are giving these leads. They spend weeks following up with these leads, only find out that they're terrible leads. And they wasted a third of their quarter chasing something down. Exactly. Like, you know, it's terrible. Up on a hundred to $200,000 investment that you just threw on the toilet. Exactly. Exactly. And then there's not enough scrutiny around these things. Meanwhile, it's like. Hey, we're considering, I don't know, like a $2,000 social media campaign. What is the ROI on this? Is this failed? You know, it's like <laughs> the industry is like really strict about like new things that obviously should work. And they're, it's very rare that they say, it's not that this thing sucks. It's that we suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. You'll, you'll appreciate this analogy, but like but everything you just said, I, I, I'd like to summarize in this one thought. If you took nine pounds of trash and put a pound of ice cream on top of it, you get – would you agree you get 10 pounds of trash? Yeah. <laughs> okay. What if, what if he took nine pounds of ice cream, just delicious top-shelf ice cream, and you put one pound of trash on it? You end up with 10 pounds of trash, <laughs> right? And I think that a lot of times this is, this is the thought, and I think it's a great point about, about the activation between sales and marketing is that it's like, oh, we can do a really good job on one side. But if you said it best, if one part sucks, it's all going to suck. Yeah, it's just not going to work out. It won't. It will not work out. Yeah. So you have a really good framework. I would love for you to kind of go through it just to sort of educate the events people who are listening to us, also the marketers. And again, the medtech marketers, I love you, but I'm just going to say it again. The majority of you are product managers that do marketing as a hobby a couple times a year when we go to the conference. We got to change that up. That's why I have people like Morgan coming on the show. See, even my son is is pissed off. He's he's yelling in the back. He's, he's not about yeah. it at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. He just he knows instinctively when when there's a part of the podcast that's he's like, like, oh, that's terrible. I can't like I can't stand for this. You know, he broke through ten <laughs> barriers to get there. So it was that was pretty impressive actually. But I love it. Morty, I love it. He, he, uh, you you have a framework that's very simple. It's pre event, during the event, and post event. But can you walk us through how how these people need to start thinking about it? And, 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 and taking action on it. Yeah, so I, I treat this as a sales cycle. And what I tell people is that content is just a salesperson that's operating 24 seven. 
And so when you think of it that way, then it's like, okay, but how do I get it to operate appropriately for 24 seven? Because you don't want someone to work 24 seven and they get no return. That's not going to be good. So the first thing you have to do is figure out what audience are we trying to get in front of? So if we're going to this conference and we have this booth. Who do we want to come to the booth? Everyone should know that and be briefed. There should be like a film. There should be like a game film room. Like who are these are our five buyer personas. If someone comes up and they're not. Yeah, go ahead. It shouldn't. Do you agree that that the the answer to that question should not be everyone? Like if we're like there's a, sp a major yeah. spine happening in L.A. It's the big one of the year. It should not be every surgeon because not everybody's a fit for your product. I don't care who you are, right? No, exactly. Exactly. So for the marketing team and the sales team, you got to come together and figure the segmentation. Let's say there's five buyer personas. Then it's like, what are the questions that we need to ask at the booth to make sure this person fits in somewhat of the criteria? If they don't, we should not be scanning their badge. Because now, again, we're putting more garbage in and you're going to have a massive bag and it's going to fall out. So that's the key there is what's the audience segmentation. And then because now it, once we understand the audience segmentation, then the next part is what is our content strategy deployment and how will we activate? So at our booth, what type of activation can we do that appeals to this audience? And one of the things you have to focus on is not only audience demographics, but audience psychographics. So what do they actually watch? What do they do outside of work that you could then use as an activation to get them excited based on these five buyer personas? So that's your content strategy development, right? And then once you have the development of the strategy towards, towards that audience, and we've all made a decision on that, then you need to look at what your content calendar will look like after the event. So pre-event, we're saying, you know what? We're aiming to get three months of content out of this. Great. Okay, cool. So now we can decide who do we need to bring on our team that's going to be part of the content. Are there customers we want to go talk to to get in front of them as well? That's how we're staging the content calendar and the content strategy deployment. But again, you have to come in with a strategy because if you just come in saying, oh, we're just going to film content, that's not good. You need to come in with an actual legitimate strategy. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. No, and I'm happy you mentioned that because again, like a buzz phrase of the century, content is king. Uh, the one thing people have to understand, you can't just make content for content's sake. This is why like people put, you know, they spend all this money creating a specific type of content. My my industry loves it. They, they, let me tell you what, I, what we love to spend money. We love to spend 20 to 50K on a really high-end uh, product video and everything. And then we're like, why aren't we getting leads out of this? It's like, <laughs> it's a product video. <laughs> you know, that's not it. It's not. It. So, so here's something that's absolutely critical that I'm going to say. And this is actually my first time saying it because you just, you said it and it just clicked with me. So we, in trading, we would always say content is queen or we, we would say content is king, but we say, and Gary Vee would say context is God, right? My, my new belief on this is content is king, but contextual content is God. Because again, if you just do a random high quality video, but it doesn't have any emotional connection, it doesn't tell a story, it doesn't matter how quality it is. It's not, it doesn't connect. So you have to find ways on how this is actually going to connect, right? And so connection, con contextual content is the key. And that's what we want to focus on. I, complete, I completely agree. And I think like, you know, for me, a lot of the great, probably the most sophisticated books on marketing I read were written over 50 years ago. So like, reading Ed, Edward Bernays's uh, like propaganda and crystallizing public opinion or Eugene Schwartz's ad, uh, breakthrough advertising. The, I get this feeling more in that like the reason why there's so much noise and lousy content these days is because it's so easy to make. So like back then, like it, 50 years ago to run a TV ad or, or, or some, some write up that you, that was like your one shot for like a while and it cost a lot of money. So people put a lot of effort really making sure that this is good and thinking about like 
are, can we get somebody to read this whole ad? Right. And now since it's so easy to do, it's like an afterthought. I think like there's so much effort just put being put on where should we put this content and how much should we pay for it? And then like in terms of the creation of it, it's like, you know, people think they're putting an effort into thinking about it and they're not. No. And that's the thing. The barrier of entry is low, but how it, how we how it really is done is is like it, it still needs to be relevant. Right. It still needs to provide context. And that's the obstacle that, that you're facing. It has to provide context in what you're doing. And if it doesn't, then it's not going to be as applicable. And that's just the way that it is. No, 100 percent. You know, on uh, on the top before we round round this uh, this segment out, you know, you 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 educated me on speaker selection um, for our industry. You know, a lot of times when when we do an in booth like presentation, right, or we have a speaker, mm -hmm. what they often default to is one of two things: either a super user of the product who's not that well known, or someone who's super well known, right. And either a user, a believer in the product, or they're or they're they're a KOL, key opinion leader of the company, and they're bankrolled, right? And there's like no no, no in between. How, how do you think about speaker selection? It's four four different types of speakers. Number one is kind of what you said, like the executive key holder, the the person in the company that is the spokesperson. That doesn't have to be an evangelist; they're the spokesperson. So we need them involved to be at this event. Okay, cool, great. Number two is the is the valued customer. The customer who like you could put them on a panel and they they will they will pump you up right they're just incredible insights they talk about case study stories you don't have to tell them they just do their thing the third piece is the person that is an, let's put it this way an influencer or a subject matter expert externally so they have influence in their space but they'll give you some love right awesome etc we want to we want to do that the fourth person is someone that you want to get to number one so maybe they're an up-and-comer and they can be a great executive for you, but they've been posting maybe some good content. They've been involved internally in your organization. We want to elevate them. Those are the four different types of people that you want involved. Number three is critical because <clears throat> they're going to amplify everything. But the most important actually are one or two. And one or one or two being. So number one is that just that executive who again, like kind of what you mentioned, like they're the executive. Doesn't need to be an event. No, 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 no. I actually they don't need to be an event. Just sometimes they are, but this is just the executive. Like they come in, they are typically the spokesperson. They're not the evangelist, but they might be the spokesperson. It could be another executive, whatever it may be. You need to have someone that's active as an executive just out there, period. It's just what it is now at this point. And then two, you have to have a valued customer that if you tap on them, they'll just talk about your brand being like, yo, they're great. They're amazing. That's what they've done, whatever it may be. Got it. Got it. Now, kind of rolling into the, like during the event, you know, uh, something that every company that they always end up doing is, you know, they make sure to capture the content in some way. The area where I feel like our industry, and when I say our industry, I mean like med device, pharma, biotech, um, really uh, fails is, you know, sort of new, more dynamic ways such as live streaming and everything. I'd love for you to kind of touch on that, but also like yeah. what are you doing, do during that time for social media engagement? You know, I feel like all this promotion is done pre-event on social, if they even do social. If they even but do then it. like during the event, they don't think, Hey, if we promote keep promote this hard while this is happening, like we might pick up some people who are late registrants who might be like, man, this this one event sucks. We should go to this other one, right? Can, can you talk through a little bit about that? Yes. So something that was really cool back in the day is when I was an SDR. Now the reason I, I I'm so passionate about events is because events change the trajectory. I don't actually talk about this very often. 
it changed the direction of my career because I came as an SDR at one event and scheduled 50 meetings. I just was me and my, I was like, we're going to both, we're both going to schedule 50 meetings. We're going to go at hundred meetings. We did it. And they were qualified. These weren't like random. We weren't scheduled meetings as a janitor. One of the things that we did is we had a, we had a book that came out. It was an actual book, not like a book. It was a legitimate book. Uh, ABM for dummies, right? And so we had like tons of these copies. So I was like, okay, what if I just take a picture of this and tell people if you come to the booth and you grab and you get our, we have a book for you. Um, and if you take the book, you enter a raffle for X thing. So like all these people sort of coming to our booth being like yo i don't know what you do but i want the book and so we had like it was like it was like a line just to get this book and then we actually had the author there so he was signing it and it was like a book signing out of nowhere and i i don't know i was just like guys i think we should just do this i had no idea as an scr i was just like we gotta do something and so like i started taking we started taking pictures of, of the book with the arthur people are and posting the, it and they're like people are like what what is this that's amazing what? So people are like, what's going on, right? And so so it just created this whole thing and we scheduled meetings off of that, right? And so I, I'm just telling you that was one of the things that led to those 50 meetings, but that's what you want, right? During the event, you want it to be a show. And I said this on a other podcast the other day. If you're a marketer and you're not coming into the event being like, we need to be the most trafficked booth to the point where our other two booths that are next to us, whoever they are, we're so crowded, we're taking over this entire spot. That's the energy you need to have with your booth. And not because I'm coming in a savage way. It's because you're spending so much money. How do you not have that mindset? My mindset yeah. would be like, we're going to have the most popping booth of all. Like, literally, it's going to cover all your other booths. And they're going to have to come to us and say, we're going to we're bringing you back next year because your booth was so good that people are talking about it. And they want to come back just because of your booth. That's the <laughs> mindset you need to have. And so during the event, you need to create it as if this is a show. And so you got to have something like that where maybe people are getting something signed if you can do that and maybe you just came out with a new ebook and you can make it a book i'm pretty sure you could do something like that and people would vibe with it also as well something we're doing as an event activation that's happening next month and i'll have more details on it as we do it we are literally creating a, a live show similar to hot ones at the booth so people are coming in eating hot ones we're filming it they're going back and forth ask, asking questions and and we're getting that some of it live that it can be streamed out if you want to do that. We're doing some of it that way, I believe. And then from there, uh, they get a raffle. So if they finish all the wings, they can get inserted into a raffle to go do something. That's what people want. People want to be a part of your, of the experience of what your booth can be. And you have to treat it. I mean, again, I've been to a couple carnivals. You have to almost treat it as like it's a carnival booth. Like I can go here and like potentially win something. And not like the cornhole stuff that people are doing. We're way past that. I'm talking about like you're getting content and there's a show because guess what? People, what we just determined, want content. So if I think about it, if I could go to a booth, I could be entered for a raffle for like a vacation or something like that. I can also get the content moving forward. Why would I not go to that booth? It's going to be flooded because people are going to be like, what's going on? And so that's the way that you should think about during your event and you also be, should be sharing in real, in real time. So your account should be sharing. You should have two people maybe at the brand that are sharing personally what's going on, giving updates, recaps every single day. People got to feel like they're a part of the journey. So they're like, next time that this booth comes, whatever event, I'm coming to hang out with these people because they are clearly know what they're doing. So during the event, you got to treat it like a show. Oh, absolutely. And you know, something that this is why I talk to salespeople because like, you know, you're, you, you do marketing just like me, like paid marketing is becoming more and more and more difficult. If you just look right. at LinkedIn alone, company pages, even when you pay for it, it doesn't get that reach. 
no. organic through individuals is so much better, which is why like, I think marketing's most valuable asset is actually the sales team and building up their presence online so that they can amplify these things is so important. One thing I will mention though is like, what makes it trickier in our industry is like we can't give away like vacation stuff because of like Sunshine Act and Starplot. Because all these, but there's other things like, you know, doing a book, for example, like on clinical publications, there's just so many things that can be done. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a, an example of something that like the, the conference people are going to be pissed, but it's, I, I, I stick to this Don't spend <laughs> money on email. Like they, they, they try and sell the email list for the conferences for like three to 5,000 bucks. Right. And I'm like, you know, spend, instead of spending it on that nonsense spent, you know, which is an outbound motion to people like, look. I don't know about you, whenever I get a message from somebody, no matter how relevant what they have is to me, if I've never heard of them and they show up in my inbox, the first thing I think is like, who the F is this? And second thing is like, report spam done, right? right. So my thing is like, build something of value that people want to show up and get, right? I, I will, I, I, I got to share this, just a quick like sidebar though for you. So pre-Stark Law, Sunshine Act, those are the governing laws about like, you can't, like if you give a doctor or a clinician something worth more than $12, everything is reported, okay? okay. Got it. But back in the day, like pre-2000, it was just like wild west. And so, and especially in big pharma, like medtech was wild, big pharma was insane. So I was, I was catching up with somebody the other day who was, in, who was in big pharma in the 90s. I'm like, man, what was it like? He's like, dude, he's like, at the pharma, at the pharma show, um, they used to have things like Pfizer had a Formula One car and the Formula One racer there to meet people. The booth next to them, they didn't remember who the uh, who it was, but they had you know Phil Mickelson, the golfer. Yep. That that Phil Mickelson like teaching like chip shots or something, and then and then one of the one of the companies, um, I can't remember what the name of the company was. Uh, that year they were doing a um, they were doing the the conference like the industry conference in Irvine. So right. one company rented downtown Irvine. They rented all of downtown Irvine and all the restaurants had like uh, top shelf vineyards and wineries from Napa Common and display open to all open tab the whole night. They, like this one company, all this downtown Irvine. The, yes. whole yes. the whole downtown? The whole downtown, man. <laughs> oh my God. The whole, the whole downtown. Cause like, if you think about it back, back, I mean, it's, so it's, it upsets me because med device and pharma are very different med device. Like you're in the OR, you, you really need to know what you're doing in pharma. Yeah. No offense, pharma. It's like, you're a glorified caterer. You're showing up, you're giving people food and you're trying to get like a few minutes just to give a presentation. So you watch the Netflix show painkiller, like how they're like showing up to the doctor's office and they're like, you know, doctor, you're not, you're not prescribing enough, blah, blah. It was like that. They're the, be they're the best friends of the doctor, the staff, and everything, and they bankrolled everything. Safari oh trips. It was, it was wild. Wild <laughs> time, man. It was a wild that's time. So Wall Street stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's, that's next. Yeah, that's definitely next level. Yeah. But just, just to kind of bring it home back to your point, you don't have to do that, obviously, because it's not legal. I was like, but you can put some thought into producing. Like, look, that ABM book, people are showing up because that's a problem they wanted to solve. Yeah. Right? And like, I don't think it'd be too difficult for a company to put together a simple book like that on like clinical techniques, something, something that yeah. would make people want to show up. Exactly. You know? Very simple. Not, not the safari trips though. <laughs> no safari trips. I would love the safari trip. That is, that is insane. We hospital, missed the boat. Man, the hospital execs are also, there's a huge, actually they're, no, they're out of Nashville, HCA, the biggest for-profit hospital, uh, um, 
corporation in America, massive. Um, they got in a lot of trouble. It was like 15 years ago because they were doing these like executive offsites and they were like extremely lavish safari trips, like over the top kind of stuff. And they're like, that's our executive. <laughs> Why offsite. is it always a safari trip? <laughs> man, because, because it's safari trips, man, they're awesome. <laughs> you, know, you know why it's always a safari trip? Because it's like, and it's in another country it's it's like it's like pseudo educational. It's like oh, we're gonna go like look at animals okay. and stuff. But like yeah. in that process, you can you know throw a lot of money around that's unaccounted for. It's so like yeah. oh, we're in another country. We can, you know we don't have receipts for that. Yeah, we know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, before we, we kind of uh, go, go to the post event, like anything else that kind of comes up to you to, to comes to mind, like for the pre event. Look, selfish plug here. Again, I mentioned in the intro. I'm mentioning it now. I have I have no like like financial affiliation with AMP aside from the fact that I just love what you guys do. Yep. But my thing is like, don't do this yourself. Like you have enough to deal with the day of the event, pre-event, everything. Hire somebody out like Morgan's company. But the day of the event, Morgan, like uh, aside from what we just covered, is there anything that kind of comes to mind where you're like this is one area where a lot of people drop the ball? So this is something where you. When I say this, you don't have to be gimmicky because people do get very gimmicky here. But you need to have some type of unison on a uniform. I find this to be very, very important because people need to know what you're about. And so if you look at like people of, of excellence, they just have a way that they carry themselves so you know that they're in the room. So I'm not saying that you need to come because some people go crazy, right? Some people come in with like peacock suits and like crazy hats, like... I'm not saying you need to do all that. I do believe it's important that you act in unison so people know, okay, this is what this, this, this company's about. But allow in the unison for individuality as well. So I'm not, again, I'm not saying everyone needs to wear the same thing, but it is something to think about. Because if you do have this like uniformed approach where it's like, this is how we approach things. This is how we do it. Here's how we all vibe. Everyone cl clicks with that, right? Because you're moving as a unit, you're moving as a team. It allows you to cover more ground. Right. When you're in conversations, people remember you as, oh, wait, oh, you're with them. Right. I do believe that that is incredibly important. Uh, if you think about any unison or I don't want to bring this in too much, but like gangs and things of that nature, like in the olden times, they all had certain uniforms that they would align to because people knew, oh, that, that's what they're about. Like, that's the status that they're bringing. That's the credibility, uh, whatever it may be. So I think everyone needs to think about that during the event. And here's another thing during the event that you need to pay attention to is how can we make sure that the content right at the event that they're talking about, how do we, in those basically in our own content, how do we make sure that we create our own content off of that? And so what I mean by that is there are different, mm -hmm. different speakers that will speak on X topic. All the people in that room are your buyer personas. So how do you make sure that you're creating the same content that they're speaking about on stage? Because obviously that's going to correlate, right? Correlate to like how your booth is going to be set up what content you're creating because they're already talking about the conference. So if they already talked about the conference and they see someone talking about it and it's your, and it's your booth, they'll come to you because there's additional answers outside of that talk that happened. So I think day of the event come in uniformed. Uh, I do believe that content capture is important. I think you need high quality content. It's what we come in and do. We capture content for clients. That's high quality. Uh, you could get iPhone if you want to, but I think the high quality is important because that quality is going to be important for B2B brands and the people you're looking to get in front of. They're not going to want, you know, generic video edits too. So I think all those things are important to put it yourself in the right spot. Yeah. And something, you know, something very simple again, like a lot of times, uh, like, 
I'm trying, I'm trying so hard not to mention companies. Like I'll go to a really nice event where I'm like, wow, this was really well done. But when right. I look around, I'm like, well, how are they being, how's this being captured? And it's usually like the head of marketing and like a marketing manager, they're running around with a camera or their iPhone cap. I'm like, man, that's not it. Just spend 500, a thousand bucks, hire somebody to do this, to do it professionally. Because then like, you can get like photos of surgeons, like talking to people and everything. They're really nice. People appreciate it. And, and your sales team is like, hey, by the way, like here's here's some photos of you that night. It's like one one reason to follow up and like have a good association. Um, I, I have kind of an interesting question I'm wondering because, you know, I feel like in the world of marketing, especially events, there's a lot of – there's an art to it. There's definitely science, but there is an art to it. So I'm going to give you um, a scenario here. Okay. Okay. Uh, upcoming conference, Okay. So like NAS, NAS is a huge one, Na- North American Spine Society. That's a great example. Or TCT, that's uh, trans uh, trans catheter. It's for it's for catheters. That's all I know. It's for it's for cardiovascular. Okay? So these are uh, four slash five day events, but the exhibit times are usually three days, two full days and one half day. Okay, so let's just say um, conference starts on a Monday, ends on a Friday. The exhibit days are like Tuesday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Okay, mm-hmm. I know it's different for every event, but if if you're if if you're a betting man and you're like you had to you had to bet the business, what day do you decide to put on an event and, and and why? Like what what are the things that go into 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 your mind in terms of how do you pick that day? An event, okay. So like like we're a company and we're one outside do booth event. Yeah, outside, outside booth event. Yes. Um, and it could be any type of event. It doesn't really matter. It could be any time. Yeah, any type of event. I'm just, I, I'm always just curious. Like somebody like you, you've done so many different events, different types of events, yeah. different venue, industries. You know, this is this is this is going to this is going to surprise y'all. So again, context before you before I even answer this question, I'm just giving an uh, idea without any context of where the business is trying to do, right? Because for example, like you might be trying to get as many people as possible for awareness. You might want to be very selective. Uh, I'm actually. Right. Do you want me so to give it a like, little bit more context? I can for give, sure. I can give a, give me more context because yeah. I, I have an answer. But yeah, okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give it context from the world that I love the most, which is the startup world. So let's just say like um, scrappy company. Let's say Series A or Series B company. They've got they got some traction in the market. They have some customers, but they're still very early on. And their thing is like, hey, we want to attract some you know big name potential customers. We want to show some love to our current customers, but also through this event, maybe we'll meet some new customers that we were not aware of. You know? Okay. Okay. So okay. Cool. My idea is 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 still the same, but I would add some things to it. So okay, I'm a startup company. I probably don't have cash, so I can't go too 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 crazy, um, right? But what I can do is I can partner with people, and and I and what I would do because I'm biased, but I would get, I would basically be the company that brings everybody together. I would go find people that we can partner with where it makes sense, where like we can help their customers in multiple of their buyer journeys, which is important. Uh, when you partner with someone, you need to make sure that you can impact their buyer journey and vice versa, right? So that you can come in as a power players together. Side note to that. So what I would do is I go find partners. Let's say I go find four to five and we would, and I haven't, I say all these ideas because there's things that we're we're going to do and I just haven't seen it. And I'm like, I don't understand why people don't do this. It could be like a money thing, but like it actually just makes sense. So most people just run a dinner or a event, both. And here's why. So what we would do, there's say there's a dinner. It's at 5.30, 6 o'clock. It's it's like a two hour, two and a half hour dinner. 
right? Right when the happy hour of the event occurs is right at like five o'clock, 4.45 in most events, most of them. So I know you got like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. If I start at 5, 35, 45 to get to where you need to go, maybe six, you have about an hour, right? Just to trans, trans, transmit yourself, transcommunicate yourself for the third right? So once I do that, I'm going to partner with all these different people and we're going to invite current customers and potential customers. Why? Because if I have current customers in the room, they're going to be fired up because I gave them a nice dinner. But if there's potential customers in the room, I don't have to say anything because they're going to sell them. And now, that, now they're doing point. their thing. I don't have to do anything. I just have to be like, here's the conversations. I'm just facilitating. Hey, everybody. Boom, we got customers here, current customers. We got partners. Boom. Partners are fired up. Customers are fired up. Potential customers get a, a dinner or whatever. But the, but the customers are telling them what's going on. We don't even have to do anything, right? Then once that experience is there, everyone's going to come out of that pretty, pretty fired up. And what I would suggest during the dinner is to tell people like, hey, like it depends on how many people you have. It's like 20, 40 people go around, go maybe split it up. You have conversation starters, right? Maybe you tell, go out of the room. Hey, everybody tell your story real quick. We all want to hear what's going on. There's so many ways you can do it. But there's an example. Dinner ends at like 830, 845. Now, same people, same partners. You have another event that's about to happen, right? And it's just a larger event, more people, right? Let's just say it's like, I honestly would do a silent disco. Why? Silent discos, you can still talk to people. So the music's going on. You take off your headphones. You've been there before. I can have a conversation with you now. And again, I'm partnered with people. So I've, I've, I've lowered my costs. Plus, you're probably going to be like the party of the of the night by having a silent disco, right? You get your disco uh, DJs going, et cetera. You probably, again, split the cost there. And then now... Anytime you want to have more conversations with potential clients, you need to close a deal or whatever. You don't have to yell and scream. It's a silent disco. So you can have a normal conversation. So that way you did something that was different. Brand awareness is high. You did the dinner to have those intimate conversations. And then boom, you do it from there. The day I would do it would be Wednesday night. Uh, to, typically like two, like, like that's the first day. So people are kind of like all over the place. I do it that night right before the half day. Because that's when people are going to go all out. So you might as well grab them at that point. Uh, and then you go from there. That's what I would do. I, I, I like that approach. And so, and so your, your, your thought is doing the evening of the first day going into the, the – like, well, the half, no, well, like second, second day, second day going into the third day. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with you. And, and you pointed out something that's really interesting because like – you know, a lot of my education, this is how I come across your channel many years ago and everything was, you know, I started to look outside of my industry because like, man, this industry sucks at a lot of this stuff. Like, so I was getting exposure through just coincidentally through tech and, 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 and the entrepreneurial world. And something I saw very often in SaaS is like a lot of partnerships. And for some reason, in our industry, they're very like, I'll give you a great example, um, like a, a robotics company. You know, robotics companies, they don't usually sell implants, but there are implants that are used during those robotic cases. And yeah. I've never seen too many uh, companies where they're like, oh, you know, this is a this is a company that works with our customer. We're not competitive. We should partner up for event unless it's a formal thing. They, it's kind of rare to see that happen, but it makes so much sense because it's better to do that and have like one really good event versus two companies put on two mediocre events. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And like. Again, you got to make sure they're a true partner, but that's what's going to help you in the long run. How do you determine if they're a true partner? What, what, what's you, you know, if you're advising a company, how how would you help them? You know, identify a true partner. I think mean, I think I think everyone. This is how I see it. I think everyone might be seeing it differently, but I think number one is you have to 
I'll be aligned on values. I think that's that's key. I think I wouldn't just like want to be with someone just because oh cool we can vibe and hang out. Like no, like we have to align on our values, right? I think that's incredibly important, and that's would be the first thing that I would focus on. Number two is I said it earlier is a true partner is where like you impact one piece of the buyer journey and they impact another. It's not like we're cool and like they do something completely different. It's like no, like I impact. So for example, I impact video an event activation, and then maybe another partner does ghostwriting. We don't do that. We don't do ghostwriting. We don't, we do not touch that. However, maybe this company next to us touches ghostwriting. Maybe there's another one that like helps you build your brand storytelling. We don't really do that. You need to come prepared with that so we can amplify it. So that's the way I'm thinking about it. Is that like throughout the buyer journey, how is that applicable? Cause guess what? If I'm working with the client and they're like decide, you know what, Hey, we're doing, these event activations are crazy, but we want our CEO to start doing ghostwriting. Morgan, can you help? I could, but that's not me. So now my partner could go do that, right? Or they're like, hey, you know what, Morgan, we're trying to get deeper into, you know, X thing right now. Okay, cool. Well, I can hand it off to that person. So the buyer journey is all the things that you know that is going to come up, but then you have to hand it off because you don't handle that. And you find partners to fill that gap so then you all can grow together which most people, they don't think about it that way. I, 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 completely, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, the industry for it to really elevate uh, and, and, and sort of evolve its strategy, these kind of things are needed. And especially, I mean, just, I don't know. I don't think it's coincidental, but like, uh, you know, the founder of AOL, Steve Case, wrote a book called Third Wave, uh, which is really, uh, it's really about the third wave of technology, which is these days, and you see it like with Amazons and Googles of the world, Nobody can do something by themselves, so partnership is like really the key. And I think it 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 sort of trickles down to a lot of things, yeah. you know. So, I you know, post event, post event. This is the other area where a lot of the balls are dropped. Where at least in our industry, even when a really great event is done, it kind of like lives and dies that night or that day. And then post event is just like kind of slimy follow up by salespeople. I hate to say yeah. it, it's like hey. You know, I know you went to this event. I hope you enjoyed it. Saw you did. To- yeah. What, what's 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 your what's your take on post event? Like, what 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 should companies be thinking about and focusing on there? Um, well, most people's post anything; they just let it die. So, I say number one in terms of not letting it die is like post content from your event. So, again, we talked about capturing the content. Now you need to set up your post content. How often are you going to post after? How frequent will you have that be? And how often are you going to make sure that you check on that content and use it moving forward? Most people from that event, event, from that event, like you could get a ton out of it. And most people just stop because they, they plan the event. They did the event. Now they're done. I'd sit on the couch. It's over. I get that. Can I ask you a question? Like, do you feel like in order to have a good runway of content post events, you can promote it. It's not enough just to do like, a fun dinner slash party like you should have some some like a presentation or speaker or something because otherwise like post event all you have is like party videos and, and photos and that, well, that can again, only it goes back so to long, right? it goes back to the pre right did you get the right speakers right did you set up your shows correctly did you do those product that it's going back so, to the pre right it's going back to what let, i said let, so uh so if you if you went, I mean, <laughs> there's a part of me I kind of want you to come hang out with me at one of these uh, uh, med device conferences. Did you see? Can see how bad it is. I gotta so go. If you if you went to a, co- a conference like one of these med tech companies and you see that they put on like some really big over the top dinner 
but there's no speakers, no nothing. It's just like, hey, we just want people to know that we sponsored this dinner and they're going to show up and have a good time. What, what would your reaction be? I, I would be very, very disgruntled and disappointed because like, yeah, you got that. You did that. But think about all the dollars you could have disseminated that into other areas and gotten more out of it. You could have like done something at the booth. You could have filmed other things. You could have done other stuff. Now, if they come back to you and say, hey, well, we sponsored this dinner. We got a, a multi-billion dollar deal. All right, cool. Well, then, you know, fair play. But for the most part, I highly, highly, doubt, that's, I highly <laughs> doubt that's happening. So that means that what you're doing is just a waste of money because you could disperse that in other areas and have a higher compound effect. Because guess what? You're spending money on the highly quality dinner that only lasts two to what? Three hours, four if max. What if you took less or not less, but really all probably all that money put in other areas and create more content that could last you four, three to four months, which would give you more eyeballs, more engagement, et cetera, in the long run, if you disperse appropriately. You know, I think like one of the things you mentioned, cause like whether it's like online engagement on social media or like in-person events, I think what people are looking for are unique experiences. And a lot of times that doesn't have to be something over the top. Like I feel like a lot of companies can treat their customers or potential customers to really over the top, like five star dinner, um, but not everyone can do. Let's say like a silent disco, right? Or like do something that like totally it silent disco is a banger. <laughs> yeah, it may not work, but like you know, man, I I would and for for those for if anybody does not know what a silent disco is, it's literally like you have a DJ or somebody producing music, but in order to listen to music, you have to you, you get headphones. So like you'll see a dance floor with a bunch of people with headphones listening, dancing, everything, but you, you don't hear anything unless you have the headphones. I I don't know. What I like about that is that it, it is a risk, right? Because like you don't know how people are going to react to it, how many people are going to be into it, which is why I think it's it's important to have like outgoing salespeople who get people into it. Right. But it stands out and it's memorable versus like, I don't know. I, like I went to an event. I went to an event I was invited to last year uh, by an orthopedic company. And it was a really, really over-the-top dinner. I I just remember the food was good. Like, I don't really remember much outside of that, to be honest with you. Right, right. And again, like, you're going all in on that one dinner that, you know, may or may not be impactful and you could go put it in other areas. No, 100%. So, Morgan, just just like in, in wrapping up, like, what are sort of your final thoughts when it comes to, like, events and more specifically, like, revenue-driving events and videos that you think about that, you know, meta companies should be considering? Yeah, I, I think when it comes down to it, we mentioned a lot of ideas and you can piece them together on what you believe is contextual for your industry. But when I think of like these revenue generating events, I just think about what would I be excited to attend that gave me such a good experience that I want to do more. And I always go back to this company, whether you like them or not, because they do a good job and they, they set the precedent, which is always Disney. It's like, look like you know there are four in, in disney world there's obviously disneyland i know and uh anaheim but when you go to disney world like there's four different types of worlds right like you could go just buy one ticket to all, one of them but most people buy all of those tickets because of the experience that it brings and and they continuously buy more once they're in the park so you have to think about what can we bring that's different to our audience that would get them engaged entertainment whatever you want to like, like to call that that then involves them to want to do more so cool we have this thing at our booth i bet you if you invite them to a party they'll go to the party party's fun okay maybe you can get them the bride you see where it goes so i think it's like how do you continuously engage with the buyer and how do you advance them through the buyer journey which is why we talk about event activation they're at a stage of the buyer journey but through your events in the video you can accelerate that and it's thinking 
how can we not, you don't have to go over the top, but how can we do something different than everyone else so that people lean into what we're saying? A hundred percent. And that, that just remind you, I, I haven't mentioned, actually, this is the first time I'm mentioning you, you just reminded me, but just, just an idea. Cause I know that on this show, like there is a young marketer listening to this and trying to figure out a way to get their uh, company to do something. Many, many years ago when I was at Petro Medical, which is a uh, predictive health company, we wanted yeah. to get like some really big name nephrologists together. And the idea that we had with uh, my VP, a hidden upstairs venue, right? So we rented out that venue and we invited all these nephrologists and it was like an invite only thing. And it's like, hey, we're going to talk about the future of nephrology. And we we went through a presentation about technology, how we're solving things. We never met, we talk, didn't talk about a product or anything. And we just brought people together to have like these in-depth clinical discussions. And it was, a, it was a hit. People loved it. And like the best part was like a lot of the people who were there, they were like, hey, can you tell us more about what you guys do? Because we loved the setting and everything, but you guys didn't even pitch your product. And we're like, yeah, we, we didn't want to. We wanted to just bring you all together to have yep. like an evening like this. And so I think like, I don't know. You know, my my recommendation to to people who are listening is, you know, again, just my two cents is that's there's I had a very selfish reason for having you on the show, which is I want people in my industry to do things differently. Set a meeting with Amp and Morgan, you know, talk to their team. Maybe you end up doing something, but at the very least, I can guarantee you, you'll leave that meeting with like minimum two or three really good ideas. And whether you decide to execute on them or uh, on your own or, or hire Morgan his team, that's up to you. My two cents. Don't be stupid. You have enough going on during the conference. It's like hire hire some experts to do it. Uh, Morgan, before we wrap up, uh, I like to do sort of rapid fire questions. You got a few more minutes to do some rapid fire questions Let's for us. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. All right, sweet man. So you can take as long as you want or as short as you want of this. So rapid fire question number one: Post pandemic, this is a pandemic question, but uh, we can do it post pandemic. You know, there's a lot of cool stuff uh, we buy off of Amazon. What's a cool buy that you made that was under two hundred bucks? What a cool buy that I made that was under a hundred bucks. I made it, I upped it to 200 bucks, but if it's under a hundred bucks, even better. Oh, 200, 200, sure. All right, look, I'm laughing because like, if you know, if you know what I'm going to say, you're going to immediately be hyped. But if you don't, I'm saying you won't. So I'm really big into like the nostalgia gaming. And during, during, you know, during the pandemic, I was just like, okay, I'm, I have a lot of time to game now, I guess. Can't go anywhere. So, I bought NBA Street Volume 2 and bro I literally what? I was so happy. I was just like this is the greatest game ever and I remember just spending hours on NBA Street being like look I'm I'm sorry everything else that's going on. It was a terrible time. However, NBA Street coming back into my life one of the best moments for sure. I was fired up. I gotta, that's I that's the best purchase. That like it's the best purchase. Bro, I haven't played I I, I haven't played Easy. that since I was a kid. You just look up NBA Street on, on Amazon and, and it'll, it'll, the gaming console for that will come up or what? Dude, it came up. NBA Street. I had the PS, PS2. I had it. Boom. I still had it from, um, from my parents' house. They live here like 23 minutes away. I was like, boom, we come by. Got it. <laughs> oh, they sent those to me. And then, boom, we went from there. Dude, it was dope. That's, man, that is – okay, I'm checking that out. All right. Second question. Um, you know, part of being an entrepreneur and business owner is that like we're constantly learning, whether it's through podcasts, speaking with other entrepreneurs, but a common one is like book recommendations. It doesn't have to be business related or marketing related, but is there a book that you feel like you recommend or gift most often to other people? Just one? It, it can be, no, it doesn't have to be one. Give me more than one. Okay. Number one is because I just, I really like it and I think it, it you have to know it in this environment. 
is Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. So it allows you to read people's body language and facial expressions. So as obviously as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of things that you're doing. You're recruiting people, you're having tough conversations, you're trying to sell, you're talking to partners, You got, there's so much going on. So being able to read people is just incredibly important uh, across the board. So I always recommend that to people and they and they find that to be helpful. Um, I'm, I'm looking at this one down here because I read it recently, Dan Martell's Buy Back Your Time. Great book, just gives the systems on how to get your time back, not be wound up in all these things you don't want to do and how to really build your own empire. Uh, and he does a great job breaking it down. Again, I'm looking at this book down here and I think that was great. Uh, another one that I really like is The 15 uh, Invaluable Laws of Growth by John C. Maxwell. Just has a lot of good principles and just backbone of what you should do and, and what you should not do. So I would I would mention those three. There's obviously a ton I can mention, but those three come to mind. Fantastic, fantastic. And then like last question is, um, What's something that people uh, get wrong about you most often? You know, okay, this is really, this is actually very, very interesting. Um, and when I say this, it doesn't mean that like I'm fake about it. It's just the way that it is. People expect me to be like high energy all the time. And oh, so you met me. I'm actually like very, very chill. <laughs> like I'm like extremely chill. And most people don't expect that. They don't expect me to be as chill as I am and as, and as deep as I am. Because when you create content, people think it's vanity. You're actually not as deep. Uh, but no, I'm actually extremely chill, a very deep person. Like, I'm actually not like, oh, I do all this stuff all the time. Uh, I keep it very, very chill. So that that's something that I would say. Fantastic. Fantastic. And then the last last one, which I've been, you know, I've, I've been kind of like shy a little bit. I'm not shy about all of it, but I've been shy about this one. But I did a few episodes back and, and the audience and the, the guest was like, yeah, you should do that more often. So you get to ask me any question, I, and I'm going to answer one question. You can ask me literally anything. Any question? Any question, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, all right. Um, maybe, maybe part of my shyness is the fact that I have no idea what's going to come. But yeah, you know, you know what's going to come. Okay, let's stick. I, 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 I want to stick to a question that I ask people a year after the pandemic, and I think this question is actually very important now. What is something that you learned or uncovered about yourself during the pandemic? that you realize you needed to change? That's a really good question. So this is gonna be, this is gonna be really, this is gonna be a bit deep, but you, you asked. So I think the thing that really, that I learned about myself during the pandemic, and, in, and less about myself, but more about the world, is that the difference between perception and reality is, there's really, there's really not much of a difference. Um, and the universe is mind, everything is mental. And so the more you act, like the way you want to become and act as if you are already, the more your world will change to kind of meet meet that, right? And so, for example, during the pandemic, um, I was never somebody who worked from home. You know, I didn't like working from home. I was never somebody who worked out from home, like all these things. And I learned the power of not saying, oh, I'm going to become a great at-home worker. I'm going to become this. I'm just, I just made a decision that from day one, I was like, I am that person. And the more that I focused on that, that perception in my mind, right. the more the world around me changed. And that was like the most powerful thing that I got out of the pandemic. I mean, including, you know, look, when I started my business, uh, my wife was three months present, pregnant. I've never been an entrepreneur. And rather than me saying like, oh, I'm going to be a great entrepreneur, everything, I just assumed and perceived from day one, like, I am a great entrepreneur. Yeah. And then little by little, my mind subconsciously looked for those signs. So I think that was the thing, you know, during the pandemic, I had this, this thought of like, you have to build towards something and you got to do this. And, in, and the trick to life, I think, is just kind of assuming that position from the beginning 
and then yeah. become, and growing into that. Does that make sense? That does make sense. I think you have to assume your state, uh, assume your subconscious and your mental, and so that you can step into that. I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, just a side note, like the other thing that pand- pandemic taught me. I mean, I, I already knew this, but I I, rem- I want to remind the audience about this because there's a lot of like reps and people who are in tough positions that at the end of the day. Um, people don't care about you. The government doesn't care about you. Like the, the person who cares about you the most is you. And so right. if you don't like the state of things in your life, if you don't like what you're looking at, you should take radical action and change that. You know, I feel that I'm just you. very big on like extreme ownership, man. And that's why, to. that's why I resonate with you. We, this is the first time we've had a deep conversation, right? Like we, we talked, uh, at Dreamforce yeah. just through your own content and what I read about you. Like, I was like, this guy gets it. Like, as I say, game, game recognizes game, game, you know? recognizes game, man. I, oh, I appreciate you, um, sharing that for sure. Absolutely, sure. man. And thank yeah. you for the question. So Morgan, before we hop off, I'm leaving, uh, links in the show notes below, but where can people find you? Yeah. So Morgan J Ingram, LinkedIn and on YouTube and all the platforms. And then uh, if you want to hit us up, it's just AMP, A-M-P, uh, if you want to see us there on LinkedIn, and then also AMP Creative.io is our site. So yeah, if y'all want to have conversations about event activations, we're here. Perfect. So be sure to go ampcreative.io. Yep. Perfect. Go For those driving, ampcreative.io, go hit them up, go check it out, and, and have a conversation with Morgan and his team. So that's been another episode of the State of MedTech. If you've been listening to the show, be sure to subscribe, number one. And number two, we are the number one show in this industry. I'm trying to move up the charts in medicine. Andrew Huberman, I'm coming after you. Uh, but <laughs> be, sure, be sure, if you listen to the show, give us five stars, write a review. We crossed over 100 reviews on Apple just a few weeks ago. That was a huge milestone. Let's get to 1,000. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of The State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has a executive that you'd like to be on the show, or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at Take care and we'll see you next time.